Hey, Rachel, how do you record a podcast in the middle of a massive worldwide pandemic? I don't have the faintest idea, Kendall. How do we do that? Uh, and we still don't know how to do that. But this episode was recorded before uh, all of this hit the fan, so to speak. And we wanted to make sure that we shipped it. It's a great podcast. And we will be reaching out to you in the future with uh, something a little more topical. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure out the balance between all the coronavirus all the time and the desire to escape from it. And for now, this one is mostly an escape. So enjoy. Pure escapism in the form of a leadership podcast. What more yes. could you ask for? Yes. On with the show. about leadership, management, and wondering how many other adults also speak to their stuffed animals. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. We're going to need a bigger bucket. I'm not sure what you're on, I'm thinking of here. But, uh, today on the show, we're talking with Cynthia Delaria, uh, CEO and co-founder at Rika Technologies. Thank you for joining us on the show, Cynthia. Yeah, happy to yeah, do it. Thanks hello. for having me. Well, so let's dive right in, Cynthia. Uh, everyone that's been on the show has told us about their sort of winding and circuitous path to the place that they are today. Um, your winding and circuitous path is a little bit different than theirs. And uh, we would love for you to back up and tell us how, you know, you, you weren't born CEO and founder here. Tell us how mm -hmm. you got there. Fully mm, maybe I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was. That is a less circuitous, but also very Bam. interesting path to leadership. Uh, um, so I started, uh, the first time I ever wrote a stitch of code, uh, because I do have a technology background, I came up, you know, writing code and then got into leadership and management along the way. Um, I was eight years old. And my mom had a uh, visual basic book that she was doing for yeah. a class. Yeah, visual basic. You remember yeah. the days? It's the only text coding textbook that I read 900 pages of. Hey, uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Probably was uh, the eight same years one. old. And you're yeah, learning I was visual eight basic. Old. Yeah, okay. I was eight years old. And it, uh, you know, I love to read. And, you know, sometimes I would run out of stuff to read between trips to the library and that book was just sitting there and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe it's boring. I don't know, but Hey, give it a shot. And I, I got super into it, like making things fly around the screen and like 3d shapes and stuff. And it was just really cool. And I loved that instant gratification of being able to see what I was doing. And it, mm -hmm. I was hooked. I mean, I was hooked. And so, um, a few years later, I took an internet class with her at a community college when I was like 12. Um, and this is with the, your mom. Yeah, with my mom. Oh, okay. She, she cool. was taking community uh, community college classes. And so I, nice. I took the internet one with her and the professor and I, I was explaining to him how much I love to write code and I wish I had like some way to apply it. And he was like, oh, well, this is perfect. Like, come look at this you know, back then it was called Archie, but it was essentially like oh, the early, early version yeah. of Netscape. And he was like, let me show you how view source works. And, you know, I mean, it was a lot of text-based stuff then. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like there was huge technology or cool things to see, but it was interesting to see how people were doing stuff. And that was sort of my first foray into, um, you know, coding for the web. Oh yeah, the um, view source thing is huge. Like I still know a lot of people who don't think that they could figure that out or didn't knew that that existed. Like this oh is my how God. everyone learns HTML or CSS, like view oh, source. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. I mean, we still use it today. You know, it's a little bit different because we have developer consoles and things like that now, but that's still the, the, one of the number one ways that you debug code in a browser now, How you know, they make that image map. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, image maps. That was so uh, much fun. Whew. I remember learning that and I was like, Whoa, mind blown. Of <laughs> all the things we've geeked out on in this <laughs> podcast, I am not okay with this one. Oh, 
too bad, man. This is the way to the, yeah, this is the way to now. Okay, so you took this internet class, you learned yep. that you could upload your code or download stuff, find things yep. on the internet. Then yep. what happened? So uh, when I was about 15 years old, uh, I so I had actually gotten a job as a barista, okay, at, at the Brea Mall at a coffee shop there in California. And I was there maybe two or three weeks, and the manager, uh, I really kind of hated her, and I didn't think she was very good at her job. And I was constantly telling her how she could do it better in front of customers. And finally, it was like three weeks in and I went to her and I was like, you know what? I don't I don't think I'm any good at this. And I, I think I'm going to quit. And she was like, oh, thank God, because I was going to fire you. <laughs> so I was like, well, the thing I do miss is the paycheck. And I was wow. like, so how can I take all this stuff that I've done over years and years and years of learning how to code and turn that into like some side income, right, while I'm in high school? So I started talking to business owners at my church about the internet and about how it was like the phone book of the future. And I had to do some convincing, you know, this is like early nineties, mid nineties. I had to do a little bit of convincing, but eventually I got enough contract work that I was able to actually hire like a couple of extra contractors to help me with the work. So you're making websites for these companies, for these making businesses. Websites. Okay. Yeah. Yep. As you and do in that time frame. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that kind of transitioned over the following four years to larger, larger and larger projects. I had 23 employees. And when wow. I just before I turned 19, I had an offer from a competitor. Uh, I won a fairly large contract. Um, against a competitor who had a lot more overhead. And so they couldn't match the price. The price yeah. And uh, when I won the contract, they came to me and said, we'll buy your company if you'll transition that relationship. So that's really what they You're wanted. 19. Was the You're 19. Yeah, I was 19. And you yeah. had like 20 something employees at yeah. this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I sold my first company at 19. Uh, I actually dropped out of college to do it. Um, mm. I tried really hard to stay in college and I, I would have loved to have finished uh, the program, but you know, all the stuff that goes into an acquisition and transitioning relationships mm -hmm. and taking care of clients and all that, because it was just way too much. And so um, I, I made the choice to do that. And, uh, you know, yeah. so um, so that was the first first company I sold. A few years later, I started my second one, took about four and a half years and got that one sold. Similar um, business? Like making yeah, websites? Similar. Yeah, only I was, uh, we were actually doing more, uh, web speeds, internet speeds were getting faster. And so a lot of companies were trying to find ways to reduce costs with box software. Mm -hmm. And so we worked on a lot of early uh, technology for delivering online updates and how do you do all the key management and then eventually transitioning to full downloads online of like, you know, package mm -hmm. files and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that company was bought by, a, by another company that was much bigger than ours uh, that was trying to get into that space. And how big did that company get? The one that you, the second uh, one you I, started? I was just shy of 40. So I think, wow. I think we ended up, I had 39 at one point, but when it sold, it was 37. So uh, like 37 employees. So you were, you know, you were in your late teens and then in your early twenties and you had a lot of direct reports. Did you have a management structure? Like how did you build your company? How did you oh decide when to hire? <laughs> how did you learn this stuff? Um, it's a really great question. I, <sighs> I got, I got an MBA the hard way, like by <laughs> yeah. making a lot of mistakes. Um, and how did I decide to, how did I decide to hire people? Typically what would happen is it would be like, oh my gosh, I have all this work. Um, I would find somebody who is interested in doing some contract work. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I got to a point where I could get them the rate they needed at a salary basis and like book them for a solid six months, then I would like pull the trigger and, and kind of make them a W2. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like management and leadership, it never really occurred to me that I needed to do that until I started realizing that there were like things that didn't always get done on time and relationships that didn't always, you know, people don't always work well together. And I was like, huh, okay. Mm -hmm. So my mom was actually the the uh, manager and director of quality engineering at Earthlink in Pasadena. Oh, okay. And she taught me everything I know about managing people, and the and the biggest thing she told me was the best thing you can do for people who are really talented is remove roadblocks. Mm -hmm. Like get the stuff out of their way that doesn't belong to them, that they don't like doing, that they shouldn't be doing, and let them do what they're good at. And the second I learned that 
management became infinitely easier. People were happier. You know, I, wow. I, I, talk, I talk about this, like owning a business, running a business, being a, being a leader is sort of like everybody wants a unicorn, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody wants to ride the unicorn. They want to pet it. They want it to cuddle with them, you know, whatever. People want a unicorn or a pony or whatever the heck. But you know what? Unicorns poop. Yeah. And somebody's got to clean up the poop. Someone has and to that's feed what them. Leadership is like yeah. that's what running a business is. It's cleaning like up unicorn poop. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> it's well, managing I... the time between getting to ride the unicorn and making sure that the stall is clean, right? Yeah, totally. And, and convincing everyone that uh, what you sold them wasn't an animal; it was a poopless animal that they that's just exactly get to ride right. and pet and hold. <laughs> Uh, uh, so go mom that sounds so that's great you had i was i was just thinking like did you have a mentor did someone kind of help you with some of the more treacherous parts of building a company especially at that young age and sounds like your mom was there for you that's awesome good job yeah mom. she yeah she really was she um sort of ended up in a in a leadership management role because she just had some natural abilities and i think i had some natural leadership abilities but the places where i fell down I definitely could go to her and say, how do you handle this? Like, what, what, I'm yeah. not really sure what I'm doing, you know? And mm-hmm. she'd be like, well, I don't know. Let's see if we can figure it out, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, um, there were not all these online resources that people have now, right? No. The Hartford Business Review and all of the offshoots of that or whatever don't, they didn't exist then. No, they did okay. not. No, they yeah, did yeah. not. So, uh, so that was a big, I was like, one of the questions we tend to ask people is like, what are the biggest lessons you've learned? And then the first big lesson you learned was get shit out of people's way yes. to help them produce yes. and, and, and grow. That's, that's not what I heard, Rachel. I heard clean up unicorn poop. Well, did, did I, there was, there was shit wrong? involved in both I, scenarios. That's right. Well, I, was, I was noticing that in my job, there is no unicorn poop. So there was no tangible Aww. takeaways. Uh, <laughs> you, don't have a, you don't have a unicorn? I'm uh, pretty sure Kubernetes uh, is a unicorn. There you go. Yeah, no, it's, it's a remote work problem. Somebody has the unicorn. We're just not sure You're who. Not right sure, now. yeah. Uh, <laughs> need a unicorn Zamboni. Um, yeah. Well, so, so keep going. So what happens after you sell company two? So uh, I sold company two. Um, I had some health issues. Um, I actually ended up with a huge blood clot on the right side of my brain that was over 10 inches long, completely occluded the venous system in my head. Uh, So I was in ICU for like eight weeks. Um, And yeah, I I had actually... Like happened to be on it. You happened to be no. in between things. No, no. I actually had gone to work for a company here in Denver that was really fantastic to me. They they had hired me to do some uh, tech lead and some project work on some big projects that they had. And uh, this whole thing happened, and the the woman who ran the HR department at that company is still one of my all time heroes because I was not. It, the the equivalent of it is like a major head trauma. Like you get in a car accident and it's like, you know, you've had major head trauma. That's essentially what I had. It was just all on the inside. Yeah. And um, this wasn't the result of an accident or something. You just, no. it just happened to you. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This was like a spontaneous. I mean, this I is had, what happens when you sell two companies by the time you're <laughs> in your early 20s. Yeah, like, everyone's like, like it's you, what do you mean no major trauma here, Rachel? I mean, I'm, this is the physical <laughs> manifestation of being That's an right. overachiever. It's exactly right. Yeah. It's exactly right. Um, anyway, so I was working at, I was working at this local company and they were so incredibly supportive of helping me like, you know, get through the time being on short-term disability and then transitioning back into work and like helping me ramp back up. And I'm super grateful. I have held so few employed positions in my life because generally what happens is I either get annoyed that my boss doesn't do it right or I fix whatever it is I was hired to fix. And then it's just sort of day-to-day management. And it's like, somebody else is better at that. Like sounds I should be like fixing someone problems. someone we just talked to recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like another guest we had on a little while ago. It was exactly the same. Oh yeah, and then I get to the point where I've solved the problem and then I get into trouble because I am yeah. looking for things to do, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so most of the time, I, you know, that's why I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm just getting ready to start my fifth company. I've I've helped over 75 or 80 now companies either launch into like a startup phase or launch new products or services into the market mm-hmm. in the last 15 years. Um, it's what I'm good at. And so I get, I tend to get bored working for companies. You're not exhausted yeah. yet. <laughs> no, not okay, even good. like, 
Am well, I exhausted? Yeah, sure. There's like plenty of times day to day where I'm like, Jesus, I could totally use a nap. Uh, I, and he, or did you just leave out the part of this medical history where the part of your brain that rest died and you're just, you're stuck. Yeah, in this whole world. half doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, They're like the yeah. Terminator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm half cyborg now. Mm, um, cool. yeah, no. So I, I, uh, a few years after that, when I was kind of feeling, you know, getting the bug back again, I, I started, uh, my third company, which is a software services company. We build software for um, the airline industry, specifically around pilot and crew bidding. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started my fourth company about three years ago. It's a, a tech incubator based here in Denver. Um, so we literally build startups. That's what I do uh, for a living. Um, which you do the product fun. build side? Like they, someone comes yeah, with an idea so and they're like, how do I get this, at least a POC? Yeah. So yeah. usually what we do is we start every client with product market fit because that's the thing that people don't think about. They're like, oh, I have this idea for an app or software or a website that can make money or whatever. And it's like, okay, let's actually take a step back before you spend $250,000 on software development and let's see if there's a viable market. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what we find is, you know, you, you do that work and maybe the original idea is spot on, but most of the time there's usually like a pivot somewhere in there that, that opens up the market mm -hmm. and people are so glad that they spent that money because then when they do spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on software and, and they spend a few years of their life getting it off the ground and getting it up and running and like mm -hmm. putting, putting all their time and energy into it it actually has, there's a light at the end of that tunnel that's not an oncoming train. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more likely to succeed and either get acquired or, you know, kind of exactly. get some sort of liquidity event. Exactly. So usually we start with that with everyone. And then depending on how they engage with us through the product market fit exercise, a few times a year we'll make an offer to a company to do, uh, to get them to market in exchange for equity in their company. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've done that with a few companies over the last couple years years. We've learned a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that I learned that I thought was kind of funny and, it, you know, speaking of unicorns, I'm a little bit of a unicorn, I think. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that though, until I started this incubator and realized that not everybody throws themselves into what they're doing 800% like I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like there's people who are perfectly yeah. fine, like going along and, you know, it's been launched for six months and then they'll call me and go, maybe I should have a social media strategy. What do you think about that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we didn't start that three months before we launched. I mean, like, no. hello, you know, and it just, all these things that seem like, duh, you know, people don't do them. And so we had, we had to learn some, some pretty tough, pretty expensive lessons about who we got involved with and who we did work for, for equity. You know? So in terms of like the, the, the filtering that you apply before you yes. give your time to these, to these yes. projects. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. process, you know, that was sort of how we developed what we call our startup program, which is really that product market fit and kind of like identifying all the pieces that are really necessary and what's the ROI look like and doing like an initial pro forma and all that kind of stuff. How we honed that process was by figuring out early wins versus early losses and how to start identifying that X factor with potential founders that we would work with. And, oh, and that's um, got to be well, an interesting leadership process then is like evaluating them as leaders. Do you have yeah, a particular- I mean, talk about yeah. that. That's, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are you looking for? Is it, uh, you know, if you haven't, oh, you're you're 25 and you haven't sold a startup, so you're not, you don't make, the, <laughs> like, like, how do you- Right, I feel like your standards are probably a little yeah. high. <laughs> you know what it is it there there's there's a piece that happens and it, it doesn't always happen at the same point which is why you know our startup program typically takes anywhere from two to four months for people to kind of go through and work with us how they engage at some point in the program the people who i want to like hook my train to their their engine are people who are going above and beyond. Like I push them and they push themselves infinitely further. You know what I mean? And so they come to me and they say, hey, I did that thing you asked and here's the answers you wanted. But I also reached out to these three companies that could be strategic partners. And I got two other people who I think wanna be on my team. What do you think about how I split equity with them? And it's like, those are the ones I'm looking for because their brains are already realizing that they can't do it alone. 
And the people that they need to surround themselves with are usually smarter than them at something that's in the mix. And generally the founders that are not as successful are the people who think they know everything. And so humility not, matters in a leader. Oh, oh it matters. I know. I know. Really hoping it doesn't. No. I know. I know. Right. You'll be fine. It'll work out. I promise. <laughs> It'll work itself out one That's way or another. Right. Right? That's Have right. you had situations where these kind of these conversations kind of went badly? Like someone was just not. How do you communicate that to them? Like we don't think you're ready kind of thing. You know, the way we kind of give ourselves an out right from the beginning. So we don't, we don't promise um, anyone that they have the potential to be in the incubator. When people call, we talk about our startup program. We talk about, you know, how much it costs to participate in that and what we do. And uh, we, you know, if they ask about the incubator because they've heard about it, we'll say, you know, we only take a few projects a year. It's got to be something pretty special. Um, but we we definitely have partners that we can hook you up with who will do a really great job on your development if it's not something that makes sense for our portfolio. So I set it up from the beginning so that there's never the awkward conversation of like, oh, well, we thought you might be an incubator candidate, but not so much. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, that's, a, that's a nice avoidance tactic. It is. <laughs> I hate <laughs> conflict, so it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness, that's that's amusing. Um, just like, are any of the things that you're running right now? I mean, even a forty-person startup when you're in your twenties is like forty people is a lot of people to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, are you do you intentionally avoid getting that big now and try to sell it off while it's still small? Are you shooting for a hundred and fifty thousand-person organization that you one day lead? What's the? How do you think? Like is leading people actually what you're passionate about or is it turning around ideas and selling them off before they get huge? Or how do you quantify some of that? I love being in a leadership position. I love leading people. Um, what I generally tend to find what one of my, one of my superpowers is leading things. I know where I can get it to. And then I know how to find people who are great at taking it to the next level. And I would mm-hmm. say the, the reason that I typically, you know, am, am working with startups or earlier stage companies and not so much into like the scaling um, is only because where my skill sets end and where other people are better than me at stuff. And I, I think everybody should have the chance to do the thing they're really great at. So, you know, my strategy is to find projects where like, for example, the, the, the now fifth company that I'm in the process of starting, uh, that I am a founding member of, um, is a fintech company processing high risk transactions in a way that de-risks for the banks. Um, and sort of handling some of this administrative overhead nightmare uh, in the banking industry for high-risk transactions. And this is one where we can run it pretty lean and with 50 or less staff can get it to to half a billion dollars uh, Mm. uh, in terms of valuation and possibly even more than that. And so for that, you know, I'm acting as CFO over the finance organization and also CTO over the technology organization, at least in the short term. And so for that, I will engage with the leadership role, build the teams, build the company. I have other partners who know how to scale a company like that mm-hmm. um, because I know I know where I'm able to scale and where I'm where I don't have that knowledge. And this is one where my hope is a big exit that's like if I don't ever want to work again, I don't have to, but really what I can do is fund the incubator to do more projects, mm-hmm. um, yeah. to, to build more startups for other people. Okay. Well, and so what's, I mean, you're working on three companies currently. Yes. Is, is your biggest leadership issue effectively leading three companies or is there something else that you're dealing with right now? That's <laughs> top of mind as, as the, you know, what's something you're currently worried about as a leader? When you're, in a leadership role that's like sub CEO where you're not really steering the ship, but you kind of like have a department that you're over your, your concerns are super myopic to your, your organization or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Typically for me, like usually somewhere around the technology, right? Mm -hmm. As CEO, particularly in my incubator, which is the one that I'm CEO of right now, my biggest concern is making sure that all of the stuff that we are promising and all of the things that we're trying to deliver on are getting delivered on 
and that my people are happy because it matters a lot that they're happy. And, and as CEO, they have all gotten on board with my vision. And I have two co-founders in this, in the incubator Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. three years ago were like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's build startups. Having that be my vision, I feel responsible for their experience in it. Now, let's be fair. They're adults. They came along. They signed up for it. They knew what they were getting into. But it's still a very personal thing for me to be responsible for. Those guys are very good at what they do. I I wouldn't have asked them to be partners of mine if they weren't. And how do I honor their contribution and them coming along for the vision when things can be really up and down. I mean, the 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 day-to-day cash flow issues in, in a project like this where you're really kind of hitching your, your wagon to a bunch of different projects and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm literally like crossing my fingers over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be it can be super stressful. Um, and so do you find and, you're screening these folks from your stress? Is that what you're saying here? Is like <laughs> Their partner, yeah. they're going to get a payday if you get a payday. Yet yeah, you're being mom basically and preventing them yeah, from feeling the pain. I'm, I'm trying not to do that. They they have they have scolded me several times for trying to protect <laughs> them from from that. That they don't want it. They don't need it. Um, but hmm. but at the same time, there's also the reality that I have other things that are generating income for me, and I I I like to be really aware of how far I'm pushing people and asking mm-hmm. them to to be uncertain in their lives and how that impacts their families. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a, that's a yeah. choice. I mean, it is a choice they're making. Um, but if you have, I mean, I, I've I've had that feeling as well, where like I have the capacity, I have the financial stability, maturity, whatever it is to walk away from something and other people don't have that freedom. Yes. Uh, so that's that feeling of like, well, I should make sure it doesn't suck for those people. Exactly. And they don't exactly. have the choices I have. Yeah. Okay. And that makes more sense than just, they shouldn't feel the pain of a startup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like the reason that they wanted to get involved with me is because they both knew they didn't want to keep working for other people and making all these millions of dollars for other people. Mm-hmm. But they, they were like, we don't know how to run a business. Like, we've never done that before. When we've done it, it hasn't succeeded because we didn't know all the ins and outs. And so I kind of feel like there's lots of places where they trust me to make recommendations and decisions. And I want to honor that trust and and not take advantage of it and be like, well, I kind of screwed up that decision and it cost us 50 grand, but that's fine. No big deal. Like you guys don't mm. mind eating a third of that, right? Dang. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> well, a little more and which, I mean, which of those are you, 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 you do CEO, you do CTO, you do CFO, mm-hmm. which role are you actually most, well, I, uh, which one are you best at and which one's the most fun for you? Are they, and are they the same? Uh, let's see. I'm probably best in CTO um, because okay. technology is where I came from. Technology makes sense to me. Um, the thing I love about CEO is pushing my own boundaries in business development and sales, which I would not necessarily call those natural skills or abilities of myself. Um, mm. But I have super enjoyed figuring out like what does business development look like and how do you how do you really build something? You know, I I I sort of boiled down my sales strategy the other day. I was like, you know what my sales strategy is? I have conversations with people, I ask them what problems they have, and I find out if I can fix them and if they're willing to pay me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna ask what pushing your boundaries in that meant. Like yeah, how it, do you I how do you do that? So, so I have been a singer, a dancer, a cheerleader, musical theater, like all that performance kind of stuff since I was like four. Mm-hmm. You put me on a stage in front of a thousand people, I am good. You put me in a networking event where I have to go talk to a human, I like <laughs> fall apart. I, I was like going to ask the introvert extrovert <laughs> question just because it's this is the key to it right here. So like you have something to talk about, something specific yeah, I, to deliver. It's different. Well, if, if I need to get a thousand people excited about something and I'm on a microphone, I can do that job. That's easy. If I got to like mm-hmm. walk up to somebody and be like, hi, I'm Cynthia and I'm networking with you now. It's like all awkward and stiff and like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I 
it's this big important business deal. Yes, that's right. Talk. That's right. Oh, oh, I must, I must say the right things and do the right things, and I don't know how to do that. You yeah, know? it's weird. I hate that stuff. Kendall's really good at this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you're very you're better at a networking event. People, and I'm very comfortable feeling like I'm being inspiring, whether I'm being inspiring or not. <laughs> Uh, so yeah but, two, two very different skills to finish answering your question my favorite thing i i am a math geek I, i'm a spreadsheet nerd the uh-huh. cfo role getting a i i can build proformas until the cows come home and i never get bored i love building the big complex algorithms that determine okay based on a ratio of inside sales to outside sales and customer service to total sales and combine all that with like number of merchants or transactions or whatever, like what's the algorithm look like to know when you have to like add new people, right? I love that kind of stuff. I love it. I cannot get enough of it. And it's super nerdy. And every time I build one and I'm like going through it with, you know, whoever has to be the person who has to know the data to present it, that I start to see their eyes like cross and glaze. And I'm like, (laughs) This is like the best part of my job. <laughs> they're like, okay, lady. <laughs> there's, there. I'll, I'll, I will be totally honest that there's been a few times where I've been like stuck my nose in a spreadsheet because there's a conversation I don't want to have with someone that's like super confrontational, and I'm like, surely the math will bear this out. <laughs> I will. I will answer this with data. <laughs> I, need to, I need to correct this person, but maybe I can afford to hire someone to correct. That's this right. Person. That's, that's right. really what you're thinking. Math will solve this problem. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so you you have led uh, a number of small on the small side companies, and then yep. you went and worked. Uh, at uh, at least one other company as an employee. Yeah. How big was that place? I'm wondering if you've had experience in the like over 500, over a thousand person companies and what I that's have. been like. Yeah, I have. I actually worked at a company that got acquired by McAfee and I ended up working for McAfee for about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they were like 6,000 worldwide at that point. Mm-hmm. And the day that acquisition happened, I went to our VP of development and I was like, I'm probably not going to be here very long because I don't like being a number. Mm-hmm. You know, I like feeling like I have the ability to make an impact. And I like, I like feeling like what I'm good at is useful and rec- recognized. Um, and I like finding other people who want to make a big impact too, you know, mm-hmm. and that's harder to do in I, I feel like that's harder to do in a larger company. Yeah, there are fewer roles that exist in those companies that allow you to do that, right? You have to yes. grow, you have to go up through the ranks, and yes. often they're not promoted from the inside, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And to be to be quite fair, I have been approached in the last few years. You know, I guess I'm at my prime. I don't know. I feel like I'm way too young for that, but well, you uh, did get started a little young. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm almost 25 years in. Can you believe that? Oh That's God. crazy. Uh, but um I have been approached quite a few times to come like be one of those outsiders that gets brought in to like fix an organization or something like that. And some of these companies have been, you know, over a thousand employees and the compensation packages look really great. And I'm like, I just know that I won't be able to do as great a job for you as I will starting something from the ground, you know? Well, there's just so much you don't know is going to get in the way too. When you, when you come into these places and you're brought in and, and has hired in to solve a problem or you like a heads will roll kind of situation, maybe or turnaround person. (laughs) Yeah. And then you don't have the context for all the other, the way things are now. I, I can imagine that being incredibly stressful and painful. And if you just start from nothing, you don't have that problem. But I, I think the solution in that situation is to say, look, if you hire me in as CTO, I'm going to be a huge disappointment to you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend two days getting to know your product and all of its flaws, and I'm going to go build a competitor that's better. And in two years, you can come by me and, uh, you know, hey, everything will be fine. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to go last... build a thing that's going to slowly destroy you. unless Yeah, you exactly. The last company that I actually was employed by, they hired me because they had a tech product that was like, it, it was a SaaS product before that was a thing, except they didn't know that. So they had been doing this since 98 and they had a bunch of huge clients on their, on their roster and, and on their platform. And 
but they were making no money. It was sort of so. So they brought me in. They were like, "Look, if this thing is going to be a loss leader, we just like to know that so that we stop trying to make it make money, and we can treat it like that and staff it appropriately and and like write the deals that way, right?" Mm-hmm. And I walked in, and you know, like like you were saying, Kendall, I spent two months listening because they had been doing this for um, fifteen years. I didn't know what that 15 years looked like. And for me to walk in and be like, oh, strike that and cancel this and change, you know, I mean, I I had some ideas, but I was like, I need to know all this history. So I spent a solid two months doing nothing but listening, asking questions and listening to what people had to say. And I very quickly was like, you should not only be making money on this, you should be making a crap ton of money on this because they had this model where, they kind of had, you know, custom software development mindset about it where the clients would pay like $200,000 up front and then they would pay $400 a quarter for hosting. And a lot of these clients had the same software as 15 years ago. Like they were still on SQL Server 2003, right? And that was the end of life, like two years before I started. And I'm like, not only are you like missing out on huge revenue possibilities, but you're, you're doing a disservice to your clients because their software is way out of date and it doesn't keep up anymore, but Mm -hmm. they don't have $200,000 to put into it. So I remember going to, it was a big, like uh, international account, huge entertainment company that was, that's been with this company since the beginning. And I said, look, we've got a scope of work on on the docket right now for like $250,000 to redo this entire product for you. What if I redo your whole front end for like 40 grand and you pay me $60,000 a year to be on the platform that you're going to share with everybody else. It'll still look like you. It will look completely unique. You'll get to decide what features and things you want and don't want. And you'll pay $60,000 a year for that. She was like, where do I sign? <laughs> mm-hmm. She was like, you mean you're going to be doing updates and bug fixes all along the way and I'm going to get the benefit of things that other people want? And I was like, yeah. So they like, went. I don't understand. <laughs> I know. So they went from this client, they were making 1600 bucks a year to 60 grand a year in six months. Nice. And I did that with almost every single client on the platform. We had no one that said they wouldn't pay it. That was, was so mm-hmm. crazy. And then you were like, okay, I'm bored. On well, to the yeah, next because thing. then the, 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 the business went from a, from like a negative 2% profitability in this department to a 48% profitability in 16 months. And I was like, if you want to keep this going, here's how you do it. And I hired my, re- I hired somebody to replace me because I was like, you don't need me to do this. Like you're paying me a lot more money than you need to be paying somebody to do my job. Oh, never say now. that. Never say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's what consultants well, do man we like you know work ourselves out of a job <laughs> <laughs> some do i think well, some stick around forever yeah a lot, a lot of consultants would rather just take that paycheck for forever they're always going to find a new hole uh, or say there's one more thing to fix well so so uh i mean we we want to ask everyone t- talk about your relationship with authority you've you've been leading since a very young age uh i imagine at, at <laughs> several times in your career leading people that were much older than you yes. um how do you feel about having authority over other people and and maybe in particular if they're older than you or you know you're intimidated by something by them uh or how do you feel about others having authority over you i think you've addressed the latter part of that a little bit but uh yeah, I, you know, I, I think my, my issue with authority, like the term, the concept, like all of it is, it assumes a power position that I think overly values or devalues someone in the situation, right? And so my, my issues with authority growing up were always that it was assumed that because a teacher was a teacher, they know more than me, or they understand the world different, you know, better than I do, or, you know, they're smart and I'm stupid or whatever it is. And I always got in trouble. I was in trouble all the damn time in school. Like I was the kid who had their name on the board with like 16 check marks after it every damn day. Right. Because smart ass. I just, yeah, I talk yeah. too much. Right. Yeah. And then I say the wrong thing and then I make somebody mad. And then I'm like, yeah, but I don't understand. I'm not wrong. You know, <laughs> just because you don't like what I said doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, I mean, that just is such a recipe for disaster. So 
the way I've always tried to lead and interact with people, you know, yeah, they're working for me and I'm paying, I'm paying the paycheck. But the reason I hired them is because they have something to offer that makes all of what we're doing better. And I feel like coming from that place where honoring what you bring to the table, and if you will mutually honor and respect what I bring to the table, then it becomes about a relationship and we can learn from each other where we need to, and we can lean on each other where we need to. And I mean, even as a coach or a consultant for startups, I I rarely talk, there's every now and then when somebody just really needs, I need to be like, dude, do this and quit whining, right? But that's pretty rare. Most Mm -hmm. of the time it's like, let's talk this through because I I know know you've got some creative solutions in your brain. It's so fun to be like, shut up, dude, and listen to what I tell you. I know. Believe me. Believe me. There's plenty of times where I have wanted to do that. As a matter of fact, so I I was like 22 years old and uh, this was just before I started my second company. And I was working with a guy who is very smart. He's here in Denver. He's had several startups. His, His most current company is something like $100 million company. He's very smart and very, very good at what he does. I was 22 and stupid, okay? And he, we were in a meeting and I was working on a piece of technology for something that, that he was building with his current company that I was, I was consulting for. And he started saying something and I was like, whoa, 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 Sparky. <laughs> Settle down, Sparky. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And he, oh my God, his face got red from top to bottom. He like he walked out of the room, and I looked at my friend who had who had recommended that they hire me to help them with this, and I was like, "Dude, he's super sensitive." And and she called me like four hours later, and she goes, "Okay, I talked him down off the ledge. He's not going to fire you, but he wants you to work from home from now on." <laughs> <laughs> so double winning there. You got That's to right. tell him That's off, right. and you got to work from home. <laughs> nice. And stop using the word Sparky. That's right. Uh, that was kind of like the end of that. Um, oh, so, geez. so I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily view it as authority as much as I view, especially when it's me. You know, I'm putting in quotes over someone else. It's really more like I have you in this position or in this role because you have something to offer. I feel like I feel like the pyramid in in an organizational hierarchy is so upside down. The CEO should be the one bearing the, the, the brunt of everything and everybody else should be, as you get higher and higher up the chain, they're doing the things that they love and very, very little of cleaning up unicorn poop, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So if anything, authority is the willingness to do the, the shit jobs that nobody else wants. Okay. And you feel like you, you have yeah. a, it, that's been your, the case for you uh, uh, since you were a kid as well. You don't feel like you have a different relationship with authority that you did when you were younger. Uh, other than now, you know, when you're a kid and like an adult is saying something stupid to you, a lot of times you have no power to like walk away from the situation and mm-hmm. change change it. You and really now, can. you know, I, I, I was saying to some people today, like I, I have a little bit different experience in, as a woman in technology than a lot of other women that I that I talk to because I've never had the glass ceiling experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only because there's plenty of times where I'm in a situation where there's like tension or like weird dynamics or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going where my people are. Like, I don't even need to go here. I don't need to prove anything over here. Like, I'm going to go over here where my people are. Um, And so I feel like once you get to the point where you can actually make a choice and change something to do something else or not have people in your life who are who are stupid, then, you know, you just don't have that choice as a kid. (laughs) Not having people in your life that are stupid. Now, there is a goal. Hashtag goal. Yes, that's not a very nice way to finish this podcast forever. Well, no, I mean, what's, what's, what's interesting about that is definitely all of my kids, particularly the ones in elementary school, where it, it is very much a shut up and do as you're told. And yes. there is, there, there's an awful lot of teachers asking for 
bullshit things that, you know, but I, I, one of, one of my kids teachers was like, um, your kid's the most disrespectful person I've ever met. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm pretty pleased with her. We taught her not to respect people who are assholes and you don't really deserve any respect. <laughs> oh yeah. Them. You're the greatest. You know, like, they're, they're, they yeah. enjoy the parent teacher conferences when it's you. Oh, I didn't say those words. <laughs> I was very diplomatic, but I thought it. I hope my kid doesn't respect uh, you. Want me to teach my kid to respect everyone because they're older than them. Well, and that's uh, so true. It's like, it, that's the thing about authority is you, a lot of people assume that because they're older they should have it by default like it's same yeah. with respect just because you're older or because you've been doing this longer or whatever doesn't mean you deserve my respect by default like as much as well, i yeah. need to earn yours you need to earn mine too in a, in a position of authority in a company too right just because this yes. person has a fancy title doesn't mean that uh you know you're decidedly not uh, yeah, yeah yeah are you um, a white dude perhaps there are other things that have gone into this situation <laughs> that might not be to do with your well. ability or a lot in technology where the guy who's just yeah. been there longest is like by default oh, yeah. the manager yeah. and it's like that is not what it takes to be a manager oh, just because yeah. you've been around yeah. the longest seniority yeah, it's like those yeah. guys are typically the ones who are the worst at management. That's why they're still there. Uh, you know, it's true. It's true. And um, oh, there was something I was going to ask you about. Oh, right. So you were saying, you know, your experience was different because you 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 grew up being your own boss a lot of the time, uh, yeah. and you also, as a woman in tech, that is, and you started your own companies, and you didn't really, you know, endure a lot of this crap. Although I'm sure that getting funding has been a fun time on occasion for this reason. But uh, but you also had, like, I want to go back to your mom. Like, you, you also had a woman in tech as your mom. And so yeah. I wonder, like, had you not had that kind of a role model experience and support in opening your new businesses, like, where do you think you might be? Like, she took you to class. She had the visual basic book, right? Which, where would you be today? It would be, it would be such a different world. It, I, it really would be, you know, because like I said, I, w I was always, I was a cheerleader and I was a performer and, you know, that stuff was all really fun and natural, but I was, I've been very lucky all along the way that I have always had a teacher or a parent or somebody who recognized something that everything, it, it, I think sometimes it's hard to see the things that you're good at and passionate about. And having other people point those things out to you can be really useful. Mm -hmm. um, I always knew that I was good at math and science. I never really felt like I was good at English, although I always got A's because there was no way in this girl's life there was ever going to be a B on a report card. Uh, in fact, I feel you. When, I was in, when I was in the fourth grade, at the end of fourth grade, there was one B in the middle of a C of A's back when the report cards were like handwritten by your teacher and like the same one went with you all year. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. She felt so bad. She went back and changed it. She why did she feel bad? Because she was like, I know you work really hard and I know how <laughs> bad you are. To you. That, like the only thing I could see on the whole damn report card was the one B in mm -hmm. the middle of all the A's. <laughs> wow, that is super nice of your teacher. <laughs> I know. She, she, was, she was super sweet. Um, but I always had people along the way. And I remember when I really got into math, my what I was studying in college before I dropped out was pure mathematics. Um, because when I got into high school and sort of got into like, um, like advanced geometry and then trig, I had two different teachers that were like, you just have a brain for this. And I was like, well, I mean, it's easy, right? Like it's easy for everybody. And he, and no. <laughs> so, uh, that, the, my trig teacher, he was the one that was like, you have to take AP calculus next year. Like you need to get into higher math. And I was super scared because I'm like, well, I'm not really smart enough for AP classes, you know? And, uh, oh my gosh, it was like finding Nirvana. I, I was yeah. like, oh, this is why I have learned all the other math. And and then I went to college and it was like calculus is like the entry. It's like the gateway drug the to all higher yeah. math. And it was like, <gasps> you know, yeah. was like, oh, my gosh, I've discovered my purpose on the planet, you know. Um, wow. This like this is causing me anxiety just hearing you talk about this. Like, in, I uh, the last the last math I ever took was calculus. And uh Oh, oh, no. I remember it getting relatively college. easy to me, but I hated math. Uh, all I do the way remember through. that feeling, though, of like, cheer me up. 
open, you come to college and you're like, oh, I see. This is where all the the interesting shit is, right? And yeah, oh man, and then and then making that connection where like I was in a I was in a physics class, and then I had a couple of different math classes. One of which was philosophy of math, which at first sounded like really weird to me. I was like, oh my god, like <laughs> are we going to talk about why two plus two equals four and how it makes us feel? Like, which it wasn't that at all. But what what it was was sort of like this bridging of math and physics, where math exists in a perfect physical world. Physics describes how math changes when you apply devolving forces like gravity, mm-hmm. because gravity is not static. I mean, it, it is in some ways, but it, the universe is winding down. And so math changes as the universe winds down, right? <laughs> Kendall's like, mind blown. It, it was like the, the second that connection happened in my brain, it was like, oh. now you understand how everything works, except people. I still have the, you know, they, they say it's a super common recurring dream where, you know, like I'm about to graduate from college. I find out there's this math class that I didn't even know I was supposed to be taking. There's no way I'm going to pass the final. I didn't even take, I, I took college math in high school. I never even took it in college, but this is still my <laughs> nightmare. I'm not going to graduate college from this. Aww. And like, it just, oh gosh. Okay. Anyways, well, we have to wrap up for time's sake, but before we let you go, Cynthia, is there outside of uh, three significant leadership roles, time for fun that's not work? And is there fun that's not work? Or is all the fun work uh, in your life? Which is an okay answer, but like, are there hobbies outside? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, My work is very fun. So it doesn't, most days doesn't feel like work to me. But Mm -hmm. I love to read. I love reading like thrillers, mysteries. James Patterson's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. David Baldacci's one of my favorites. Uh, the Ian Bell series, the Isaac Rutledge or the Ian Ian Rutledge and Isaac Bell series. I, I like I love to read, right? Like mm-hmm. on average in any given year, I think last year on my Nook, my purchase rate was like 76 books last year. And I still always reread the Harry Potter series at least once a year. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of love reading the Twilight series at least once a year. Oh like, my God. Uh... Dystopian, <laughs> you know, like I'm a nerd. Um, so I love to read. Uh, I I have three Huskies. I'm on the board of a Husky rescue. Um, Huskies are a very special breed of dog. I'm a Husky on the inside, super stubborn, independent sense of humor. And I like pushing the boundaries. That's, that's a Husky. That's me. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I love to race cars. Oh yeah. Um, What sort of cars? Uh, so I was trained uh, to race down at Bondurant in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when they still had manuals, they they transitioned all their cars to automatics. So that's, that's not as much fun now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we also have taken a, a couple of different racing courses through Lamborghini, including an ice racing course, which is oh, super fun. Like that, driving I bet a, a lot of drifting involved. <laughs> uh, driving a two hundred fifty thousand dollar car on fifty thousand gallons of ice. Totally, Yo. everybody should do that at least once because if if shit goes wrong, you're not responsible. Like that's part of the thing you mm-hmm. sign off on. Oh my god, it is so much fun! That like sounds terrifying <laughs> and awesome. Quality. Oh man, I mean, it's like crazy. It's totally. Yeah. I have a four cylinder Subaru that I am pretty convinced is <laughs> a race car because I've been driving Suburbans for. You know, uh, <laughs> Oh sure, that does feel very different. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a quarter at like fifteen. It's amazing. (laughs) I like fifteen. (laughs) Okay, well, we got to wrap up. But Cynthia, if people want to hear more or follow you somewhere in social media, where can they find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me. I don't really, I'm not really active on Instagram, uh, but you can find me on Rikatech.com and also at CynthiaDelaria.com. Uh, we're actually revamping CynthiaDelaria.com right now. So there'll be some fun new stuff uh, coming out there. And you can find some of my past music projects on Amazon. I found my my old EP out there the other day. Oh, <laughs> totally wow. going to go look for that. I will put all this in the show notes as well. Um, thank you very much. I want to ask you a bunch more questions, but we are totally out of time. So, yeah, uh, thanks so much, Cynthia. That was thank you guys so much for having me. <laughs>